Welcome to the Peculiar People Podcast, a podcast that shines a spotlight on you, the rising generation of peculiar people who are moving, shaking, shaping, and influencing LDS culture. I'm your host as always, Nate Jones. Okay, folks, so we have a little bit of a different one coming at you tonight. I'm interviewing a guy who is not young, who's not necessarily a quote-unquote rising generation of influencer, but he is an influencer none the same. He's 58 years old. When you hear him talk, he sounds like every bishop or stake president um, or pastor you've had growing up. Uh, but that's about all he shares in common with, with them, stereotypically. He is one of the most uh, progressive thinkers and authentic people I've ever talked to. He is great at putting himself in other people's shoes. And that is why I think he is such a good host for his podcast. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love. And he interviews people, LGBTQ people, who are members of the church or former or current members of the church or who are dealing with um, issues uh, that maybe arise within a family when um, you have a loved one that is LGBTQ um, or are LGBTQ and you're trying to navigate um, the gospel of Jesus Christ at the same time. I initially came across this podcast because my sister, who is a really devoted listener of his um, was recently interviewed on his podcast about my family and our family's story uh, because our dad is gay and um, my parents were married for 18 years before they split because my dad was gay and he had uh, you know basically the story from there is, is really interesting um, with his excommunication and how each of our, our siblings sort of dealt with it how my mom coped with all of that and um, just a lot of things and, and uh, I listened to that podcast and I said to myself that I just really had to talk to this guy not about my story but about what he's doing because I find it so important and also so refreshing that this man has spent over a hundred podcasts just listening to LGBTQ people tell their stories and not try to provide answers or do anything that other than learn and, and listen and love. So that's, I guess, the point of his podcast. But his name is Richard Osler. He's a great guy. Uh, it's a long podcast, but I enjoyed every minute of it, and I think you will too. So without further ado, enjoy. Peculiar people is a compliment of the highest order. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. It's nice. It gets the people going. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Peculiar People Podcast. I am Nate Jones, and I am your host as always. I'm so excited tonight. I'm sitting down with um, someone who I don't know that well, but immediately like look up to and respect because of his podcast and what he's doing. And I feel very fortunate to be talking to Richard Osler, host of Listen, Learn, and Love podcast, and uh, AKA Papa Osler, and we can get into that in a minute. But um, Richard, do you go by Richard? Or do you go by Richard? Richard, Richard, okay. Richard's great. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Nate Jones, great to be with you. and. Um... I've certainly enjoyed, as I've looked at your webpage, Peculiar People Podcast, 
the good work that you're doing. So I'm grateful to be on your show and honored to be on your show. Well, thank you. And I'm glad that you uh, uh, struggled getting those words out. Everybody, <laughs> everybody does. P. P cubed. You're L cubed and I'm P cubed. We there can just is. go well, with well that. Um, but Richard, you know the drill. What makes you a peculiar person? Well, I'm an active Latter-day Saint and really supportive of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And I don't put a but there, but an and there. So I've learned that as an active Latter-day Saint, I can do both. And that's what makes me peculiar. So perfect jumping off point because this is something that is such an important topic for me and for my family individually and for so many people that I know. But um, you have a podcast, and it's really centered around um, LGBTQ issues, particularly those of the Latter-day Saints. Not only that, other things too, but really, um, you know, most of your episodes delve into this topic and, and do so in, an, in a way that I have never really heard before. And uh, so I'm really excited to talk to you because... I'll be honest. I didn't. I didn't really listen to it until uh, my sister went on to your show, and you talked to my sister, and um, listening to her episode telling our family story. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I think I've mentioned it multiple times on the podcast. My dad is gay, and came out uh, about 18 years after my parents uh, got married and and had five kids and left the church, and you know it was a. a a different time, but a very, you know, unique fam familial situation, but not that unique. And she told, uh, you, you talked to her and, and she kind of told our family's story from her perspective. And you know what, it's crazy. I got things from it that I didn't even know. <laughs> and I lived through it. Um, and you just have such a great way about you. And um, so I wanted, the first question I, I guess I would want to ask you is why? Why did, why did you decide to do this? And, and tell us a little bit about who you are and how this came about. So I'm 58 years old, live in Salt Lake City, a small business owner, and a married father of six kids. Don't have any LGBTQ people in my immediate family. I was assigned to be a singles ward bishop, a YSA bishop, uh, in, from 2013 to 2016. And I had a couple gay men in the ward, and I just listened to them. And it was the first time I really listened to an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. And, and gradually, I just felt this impression that everything I picked up about LGBTQ people is some straight people. And I felt I needed to wipe my hard drive clean, to use a computer term, because I didn't know what I had picked up that was accurate. And God kind of said, if you want to know my LGBTQ people, quit talking to straight people or cisgender people. Go talk to LGBTQ people. And you'll see them the way I did and or do. And and that's that happened while I was a YSA bishop, especially the last year. I kind of got that impression. So I started. About when was this? This is about 2015. Uh, so this is about four years ago this coming September. And I just had a couple in my ward. So but I I started to post kind things on social media about LGBTQ people and reached out to a high school buddy, Mike Bolly, who I knew was in a same-sex marriage, and I just said, it's time for me to hear Mike's story. We, I kind of separated from him in high school. We weren't great friends, but I never really connected with him, and I knew he lived in Salt Lake City, so I went to dinner 
with him and his husband and just felt impressed to listen to LGBTQ people. And I realized that, you know, I just learned a lot about LGBTQ people that I hadn't picked up. And I and gradually then just started to share their stories on Twitter and Facebook. And then um, my son-in-law said my Facebook posts are too long. And he said I should start a podcast. <laughs> and I have never even listened to a podcast, Nate. And I'm pretty old. But I said, that sounds interesting. So I I thought that was wild. You, you'd mentioned that to me before we kind of started <laughs> recording. I can't believe that you had never even listened to a podcast and you started a podcast. And I will say, uh, you should start another podcast. I had this idea while I was listening to your podcast where you just tell bedtime stories because you have this voice that's meant for just calming people. I feel like you'd be a great therapist. <laughs> well, maybe that's what we do as YSA bishops. I found that, you know, that was part, not that I became a therapist, but listening to people and validating how they feel and honoring their stories, even if they're different than how I feel, is certainly. I think part of ministering and part of a pastoral approach of a local church leader. Um, but the podcast started about eight, 15 months ago at the beginning of 2018. And I found a college age man that I knew in Salt Lake city and he set me up and, and it's been as an ally. My goal is to not make this about me. You can't donate to my podcast. I I'm doing just fine, but I wanted to bring voice to LGBTQ people. I wanted to use the privilege I have in the LDS community to bring voice to those that don't have as much voice, and that's been part of what I felt impressed to do from Heavenly Father, and and because that's how I learned about, you know, you've got a gay dad, so you've got someone in your family, and you know you've got a wonderful dad, and you've walked kind of a difficult road at times, but I love your own family story of where you found common ground. And I think that's what Heavenly Father wants. I think he wants us to be able to, as best we can, keep our families together. So I have certainly, I've listened to thousands of LDS LGBTQ stories and and I wanted to bring all those stories to life as much as I can so that, I love what Elder Ballard said in a BYU devotional. He says, we as Members of the church need to listen to and understand what our LGBTQ members are feeling and experiencing. We must do better than we have in the past and to all feel they have a spiritual home. So I sort of feel like he gave air cover for all of us that are LDS that want to talk about LGBTQ because he invited us to do that so we can do better. But to really know someone's burden and know someone's road, we've got to understand the nature of the cross they're bearing. We've got to hear their story. Yeah. And it's the only way that I could fully empathize with LGBTQ people. I had to stop listening to straight people tell me about LGBTQ people. Some things they said were fine, but other things were just not helpful and not accurate. Yeah. was The thing that I find so interesting about you, particularly as the person that's doing this, is there's nothing that pops off the page as to why you would be the person that is the is different from every other YSA bishop to sort of I guess take your old um, way of thinking and be curious without you know yeah. having a, a, a gay son or a daughter or brother um, but just out of love so what is it about you that that made you want to do this so much well, it's been a journey for me. I think if I look back at my life, the first, 
I, I look at what was different about me and more curious perhaps. And I remember tracting on my mission in Northern England with my companions and um, we would knock on a door and we would invite people to listen to the message of restored church. But sometimes they wanted to tell us about their church. And it was always easy for me to hear their story about their church. And my companions used to tease me that they're going to convert me. And I said, no, I can just, I have enough confidence in my testimony of restored church. It doesn't bother me to hear someone talk about the beauty of their own faith. And sometimes it would give me better insights into perhaps some struggles they had or some unmet needs that then I could better connect them with our doctrine. But Nate, that's probably the first looking back at my life. I've just been wired a little bit different to not be othering or not be defensive about people that are different than me and curious to learn about people that are different from me. And so I think then we did a, one of the things that happened keeping on with our mission is, um, um, I felt impressed to do a mission reunion. This is the England Manchester mission 30 years after the reunion. And I, and that's how I got good at Facebook. And I've just felt impressed to find all of our missionaries. And one day I found elder Van Pletzen, one of our great missionaries. And as I found him on Facebook, you know, we didn't have Facebook. I served in 1980. And so it was a chance to reconnect and find everybody via Facebook. But I found elder Van Pletzen and I thought, Oh no, He's an Episcopal priest in a same-sex marriage. And that was a little shocking. And I thought, well, he doesn't want to come to our reunion. And I thought, should I even Facebook friend request him? I thought, well, I, I'm going to Facebook friend request him because I scrolled down his Facebook page and he kept to his own congregation um, posting clips to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And I thought, well, this is less black and white than I thought. He seems to love the church at some level. And I Facebook friend requested him, and he came to the reunion. We just loved him and his husband. And our mission president, even though it was 30 years later, our mission president was only in his late 30s when he served. So he was just 69 or 70, and he just put his arms around him and welcomed him and his husband. And I just thought, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ where, you know, we found common ground as missionaries, and it wasn't the time to preach. Elder Van Pletzen knew the doctrine of our church. Um, and I think Christ would have just invited him to the mission reunion and put his arms around him and loved him. And, um, I just felt like that was, and I looked, took the lead from my mission presence. So that probably helped me to just feel more comf, just, just at better peace, just listening to people. And a lot of the, so that's kind of answer your question. I think it's just been the way I've been wired and. You know, I used to tell my black, my high school. I sometimes will tell people, well, if I want to, if I want to learn about black teenagers, I probably not ought to ask my white teenager <laughs> how black teenagers feel. I probably either not shouldn't have opinions, Nate. Um, the trap of underdependence. opinions. It's easy for old men like me to have opinions about everything, but it takes more humility to say, I don't know. I don't know what an undocumented worker feels like at the border. I don't know what a mom carrying her kids all the way across um, South America or Central America. I don't know what it's like to be a black teenager out on a on a dark night. And so I just recognize that that's part of my responsibilities. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to better understand people who are different than me. Well, it's a very uh, forgive the the compliment, but it's it's a very uh, humble quality and uh, Christ-like because. 
The, what's funny is uh, the sort of the slogan for my podcast is that we interview a rising generation of peculiar people who are influencing the culture. And <clears throat> you're 58 years old, and you're doing something, you utilizing today's technology, but also with a mindset that's different than every other, I guess, what the stereotype for someone who's a little bit older, um, in terms of old ways of thinking, and or old a shifted paradigm um a little bit and and that's why i thought it was so important that uh, i interview you because a rising generation of, of people that are that are shaping the lds culture could really come from anybody and right. you're talking about things that affect young people old people people of all ages and and particularly there's there's a younger generation of uh lds people that are that are coming up in a time where it's now uh a different time than it was maybe when my father was uh, struggling with his decision to um, live his life as a gay man or, or, or do as his priesthood leadership was telling him and, and what the, yes, uh, the church leadership was telling him to do, which was to get married and start a family and, 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 and make that, that work. Makes, and yeah, and that would make him straight. <laughs> right. And that he could pray the gay away sort of, you know, um, yeah. Which I empathize with him now, but even as I was a child, I maybe didn't see it his way. Um, and so I love that. I think it's it's beautiful. And um, I would I would ask you know maybe you can share a little bit about what's changed in you as you've listened to some of these stories. What are some things that you can identify that maybe you thought before that you don't think anymore, or maybe you already thought them couple things. I think the millennial generation is great. As I listened to these YSAs and saw their perspective on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way they looked at the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, and their responsibility to minister to the people that had a higher, harder road, I'm just, I am not negative on the millennial generation at all. They are awesome. Yeah, they're on their phones too much, and we might criticize them for that, but <laughs> I just think they're awesome, and they're doing wonderful things, and they see the world in a pure... Um, fairer way, and I think it's it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that resonates with them, and they see people that have a more difficult road, and they think, what's my responsibility? They look at all the Old Test New Testament parables, and they say, and it, so I'm really high on the millennial generation. The things I've learned about LGBTQ, one is, I, I just believe after meeting with hundreds and and giving blessings to hundreds of LGBTQ people, I've never felt an impression, Nate, to say, to, to in a priesthood blessing, to invite their sexual orientation or gender identity to change. I have felt over and over that this is who they are and that God isn't up there in heaven going, oh no, what went wrong? Some of my children are LGBTQ. This is just part of the needed diversity that's part of his plan. And it's hard to figure out how LGBTQ people fit into the plan. And I don't want to take that away, but I just think this is the way God wanted everybody to be created. And no one could look in the mirror and think they're a mistake. And if there's an LGBTQ person listening, I just, you know, God loves you. And how you're created is how you're meant to be created. And it doesn't mean that that's permission then to live outside the doctrine of our church that I invite everybody to stay in. Um, but it is what I believe. And no one is a mistake. And 
The other thing I've learned after meeting with so many LGBTQ people, but that their sexual orientation is more than just their sexual orientation. It's who they are. Right. And all their gifts and attributes and are all tied into their sexual orientation. And it's just a small part of them, but it's who they are. And some of the younger ones I meet with would gladly have this lift. And if I could put a button in front of them and push it, and they could push it to be straight, they'd love to push it because it's a brutal road. And not being straight is a much difficult, more difficult road. But over time, most of the LGBT people I, I meet with get to the point where if they if they could push a button to be straight, they wouldn't push it because it, it wipes out their very essence and all their gifts and contributions and goodness in society. And I think that's what God would want us all to feel is how we're created is how we're supposed to be created. And so that is a couple things that, you know, I would have that were surprising to me. I would have thought, well, God wants everybody to be straight. And this is just some some problem that's occurred and it's all going to be fixed. And now I don't feel that way. And I just think God's beautiful diversity in the world exists in many different areas. And I like Elder Holland's choir that he gave a talk where he's talked about we need all those parts of the choir to create the harmony that's needed. Mm-hmm. We don't need just altos. And he talked about sexual orientation being part of that harmony. So I look at my life is better off by having straight and trans and LGBT gay and lesbian bisexual people in my life because of the things they can teach me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't believe I can become the person God wants me to be without having other people in my life that may be different than me. And I used to think um, that I was like the Good Samaritan out rescuing LGBTQ people, um, they do have a harder road. But now, I, in some ways, I think they're rescuing me because <laughs> often they're teaching me about um, Jesus Christ and the gospel, and they're more sensitive to, I hate to make generalities because that's a bad thing, but often they're just more sensitive to people that are on the margins because they've lived on the margins. So they know that road. So, I believe that 100%, yeah. So that's... Those are some thoughts. Um, when I meet with LGBTQ people, I invite them to stay in our church. Um, but I recognize that I had an authorized path when I was at BYU to find my partner, and and physical intimacy and marriage opened up everything else that's part of our marriage that we share together. And I recognize that for an LGBTQ person, a gay or lesbian person, it's a harder road. And so if someone leaves, I instead of villainizing them or um, blaming all the world problems on them, which I think we do too often, I just say, I want to put my arms around them and just say, I know you're on a really hard road. And I and it's and and to just try to love them and try to feel so that they can feel my support, even if there's decisions outside the doctrine of our church. I don't invite anybody to leave. I don't encourage anybody to leave. But if they self-determine that this is their path, then they're going to have my support. Yeah. Do you? Uh, I mean, it's sort of in the in the name of your podcast, you know, listen, learn, and love. And it's not listen, learn, love, and lecture or give a lesson. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, I mean, I know so many people that you talk, you 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 reference the hard trial or the different road. But let's call a spade a spade. I mean, if you're um, gay 
and you want to be a member of the church and you can't fully participate, I, 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 I can empathize with this conflict that so many of my friends feel. Yeah. And all I've been able to say is um, that what I, what I personally believe is that there is a, a plan for them as well that it can include the church. Um, just as there's things about the church that I, that I struggle with, you know, um, outside of sexual orientation. And one of the, th- the analogies that you use that I really like is, you know, if being left-handed, which I am, was uh, something that, di- that, didn't, that didn't allow me to fully participate if I used my left hand um, or being redheaded or, you know, whatever it is, uh, would I n- not be left-handed anymore? Well, no, I'm just, I was, bo- I was born that way. And it's, it's something that all I've ever been able to say is I don't know the answer. I don't know God's plan for every aspect of his gospel and and you know with what you're saying is listening with to them learning from them and and trying to love as best we can but do they do you ever get these moments with with them where they're like well what should i do or you know i'm i I don't like do you feel like you've come come up with any sort of answers for for them it's a good question and i i love I'm glad you brought up being left-handed, blue-eyed, or red-haired. I don't like to put bounds on the atonement, but I don't think it makes a left-handed person right-handed or a red-headed person brown or a blue-eyed person brown. I think that's the way God created people. And to put it back on someone to use the atonement of Jesus Christ to become straight just adds to their burden. And it's something that I don't think that they can change. It's who they are. And so I think that's really important. So to answer your other question, what do we do with our LGBTQ friends? I remember as a bishop, and I met with a lot of people that had stepped away from the church um, or on the margins, and I said, sometimes I would say, what can I do to help you? You set the agenda. What what can I do? There was one young man that wanted, he was in a same-sex relationship and on meth. <laughs> and he said, I would just like you to help me get off meth. And so we worked on that. We met every Friday afternoon, and I just I kind of let him set the agenda. So in some ways, I love the principle of personal agency or self-determination to use a clinical perspective. At the end of the day, especially for adults, we let them decide after we invite them with the doctrine of our church to decide their path. And so when I'm meeting with an LGBTQ person that's stepping away and feels like their path is outside of our church, I will often just say, well— you know, take God with you. Um, he loves you. Nothing you can do can really take you outside of God's love. He will walk with you, keep him in your life, do things that keep you connected with him. And I just think, I guess I sort of think sometimes, Nate, if God's comfortable with 99% of his children being outside of the faith that I love and support and believe in, then I guess I'm going to have to be okay with that too, even if someone leaves. And even though that's kind of threatening to me to see someone leave potentially and talk about why the church didn't work for them, I've learned to just kind of leave that at the Savior's feet and um, just continue, unless they join ISIS and want to bomb me, and I kind of joke about that, if they just want permission to live their life. But I think we have to recognize how difficult this road is and how much most of our LGBTQ members have a deep testimony of the church and a deep love and don't want to leave, but sometimes there's just not a place. Yeah, and you you had referenced a, a term that I had never really heard before, but when you said it um, on one of your episodes, it resonated with me 
because it doesn't strictly apply to LGBTQ people, but I think it is um, something that people grapple with because if you are experiencing something, uh, I mean, life is life is suffering, and I think part of the reason the church is so beautiful is that that plan of eternal happiness and the plan of salvation is so beautiful is it provides a purpose and a meaning of life and a long-term aim that can help you get through the really hard things of life. But what if the, what if the hard things of your life are caused by your affiliation in some circumstances with that church? And you mentioned it, a a term of of church generated pain versus um, the church being a resource to calm your life's pain. And people really experience this. I experienced it in some regards when I was came home from my mission early and going to church and, and experiencing church was really painful for me for a while. Um, but as an LGBTQ person, I can only imagine, you know, a lot of a lot of the going to church every week and a lot of it trying to find a place and could be the cause of a lot of their pain. Yeah, I just I I really believe that our restored church is an imperfect church. It's an imperfect mortal organization with the priesthood and the priesthood keys and leaders called of God. And that gives me the framework to recognize that I, as a local leader, can cause pain in the lives of my ward members. It probably did. We could probably find some to put on the podcast and say, Bishop Osler, you really blew it with this interview or that statement or that talk and or this culture, and I think we just have to have enough confidence in our restored church that we can look inward and say, we can generate pain. And and even if somebody has this is a, a part of the same experience, and one person feels pain and one person doesn't, I think we just have to honor that the other person felt pain, and not be defensive about that, and not and just honor, and validate. I felt Nate sometimes the best thing I could do was to validate how someone felt and not make them justify to me how they felt that way, um, but just validate how they felt. So if someone felt pain for whatever reason, I think they need to be able to lean to the church to heal that pain, and that's complicated. If your pain's from work or a lousy job or a difficult relationship, sometimes it's easy to turn to the church to be the balm of Gilead, but the balm of Gilead is also the source of the pain. It gets complicated. And we do lose people that step away because they can't handle that pain. So I just think we have to be confident about a church. We can look inward and say, we can generate church, we can generate pain in our members. I don't usually think it's the doctrine. I think it's often just the limitations of our individual members or our local leaders. Um, I don't see pain in our doctrine. I know the doctrine of marriage between a man and a woman is the doctrine I support. And that can be difficult for LGBTQ people because if they want to find a same-sex partner, there's really no place for them. So I acknowledge that sort of pain, but I don't quite know if I call that, you know, doctrinal pain or just the realities of, of the teachings of our church that I support. But that's, you know, in my bishop's interviews shifted over time, Nate, I I think I went in that first year and I did most of the talking and I wanted to do most of the fixing and I had kind of my spiritual toolbox of things to help the YSAs. And often that was very helpful, but the longer I served, the more I just felt impressed to listen (laughs) and honor how people felt and help them be completely heard. Sometimes someone that's struggling with the church or barely hanging on, all they need to feel is to be heard. And I don't do it in a manipulative way to try to 
secretly hear them so they'll stay. But it just, it's so, it's part of just um, healing and part of just being able to move forward and deal with difficult things. And maybe that's even more helpful from a local leader to feel fully heard. And I did a podcast with um, a straight young man, Ryan Reese recently, and it's weird doing podcasts with straight people, Nate, because I usually <laughs> all, all our listeners, Nate, this guy is actually straight, and so I usually don't declare someone's sexuality. <laughs> but in this podcast, I do. But he just talked about his mission. He says I didn't enjoy it, and I I think ten years ago I would have said, well, that's not. You should pray and figure a way to have enjoyed it, and you did something wrong. But now I would just say, hey. I really enjoyed my mission, but you didn't. And that's awesome. You felt that's fine. You felt that way. Well, it's not like you did anything wrong. It's just your lived experience. And so I'm so glad you're still hanging in with the church, even though you really did not enjoy your mission. And that's why that's why I don't like to limit uh, this concept just to LGBTQ issues, because it's really not. Because I think if you're listening to this podcast now and you're a member of the church, you can you can think of some aspect in your life where there has been pain caused maybe by the imperfectness of, of particularly the people that are called into and into leadership positions and maybe hold the priesthood but you know they are just we are just in, an imperfect people um, regardless of, of what um, callings we may hold um, and I, it's so refreshing to hear that coming from you because from my uh, millennial or YSA friends uh, this is a conversation we talk about a lot because yeah. there is so much information now and things come to light and there's only one way to be in the 21st century and that's fully transparent. Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble yeah. uh, because of social media and because people, it's a call out culture. And if someone has a bad experience, they're going to talk about it and people are empowered to talk about it. And so it's it's not a time anymore where um, you can... In, internalize every single thing to say that you know you know no this wasn't messed up this was something that you need to maybe work on but it's a time where people who are my age or people even younger who are the future leadership of the church and then people that are your age that are currently you know in bishops and stake presidents and um, young women's leaders and young men's leaders and relief society presidents uh, need to hear this and 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 really think about the way that they're approaching um, their conversations with members who are struggling with one thing or another. And are you, are we telling them to fix something that they're doing so that they can find happiness? Or are we telling them, are we just listening and, and empathizing with the fact that humans are so flawed and we can't be hypocrites one and, and talk about the atonement in one conversation and then talk about, um, you know, living living doing everything perfect including your callings i just think that's a more sustainable approach and i think millennials want to have real discussions about the complicated issues in the four walls of our church i come to i sometimes have coined (laughs) i think sometimes elders quorum release society and sunday school is the best answer club and the 10 percent or 20 percent of the people that have the best answer kind of dominate the conversation and i think we have to mature past that we still need the best answers, Nate. I don't want to discount that, but we also need to create a culture where if I have an honest question about the history of our church or a current conference talk or something like that, that I can bring that up in 
Relief Society Elders Corman Sunday School and not feel shamed, not be compared to the wheat and the tares or the elect will be deceived, but have an honest conversation at church. Because if I can't if I can't discuss these things at church, I'm going to find people out of the church that will talk about it. Yeah. And they may conclude, well, I belong out of the church because they're the only people that I can sort of identify with. And so I think we need to create space. I did a Twitter poll. I'm really old for Twitter, Nate. And, uh, <laughs> You're more active so, on Twitter than I am. I feel like I need to catch up. I, oh, I have a son named Matt who got me in Twitter when I was in high school. And that's where Papa Osler came from because I wanted the high school kids. I was tweeting out the weather report to know I was an old guy. Oh, you so sound they, like my stepdad, except for he so just over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I did a Twitter poll, and I said, for those of you that are active LDS and hold a temple recommend, please indicate your level of testimony. And one was I know, one was I believe, one was I hope so, and one was I'm trying to hang in there. And and 41% said I know. So more than half don't have, with the temple reckoned, an I know testimony. But we've culturally normalized that. And so I think primary kids probably actually I know. So I'm fine with primary age kids saying <laughs> I know. Because at that age they do. But then there's this teenage years and 20s where we kind of have to figure out for ourselves. And I think there's a lot of wonderful behind an I believe testimony, Nate, maybe somebody doing the very best they can to live the gospel of Jesus Christ and keep the commandments and stay on the covenant path, or even behind someone with a I hope so testimony. But if they go to church and all they hear is I know, it's kind of hard to feel like you belong if you can't say those words. And it may never be a requirement put on ourselves or a priesthood leader, a parent, to get someone from an I know, from an I believe to I know. In DNC somewhere, I forgot, it says to someone is given to believe and some is given to know. So I think we need to honor spiritual differences um, in our in our congregations. And so I think more will feel like they can belong. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And some are going to have an I believe or I hope so testimony. Yeah. And that, that can't threaten the rest of us. And I've been pretty open in a couple podcasts about what I call my own mini faith crisis. As I was exposed to things in our church that I once considered were anti-Mormon that are just the facts of the history of our church, like Joseph Smith's polygamy. Yeah. And um, race in the priesthood. And so I think Faith crises, I think, can come from an understanding of historical issues that are different than we first were taught, or a, or kind of today issues where people feel squeezed out, like LGBTQ or the role of women. And I've really tried to understand how people feel in those groups. And I think I, because I was in that space for a period of time, why I was a YSA bishop, it really gave me a lot more empathy for people that might have questions, honest questions about our church. And I knew that my faith crisis, Nate, I call it a mini faith crisis, wasn't because I was sinning or not serving. It happened the same year I invited three men to be baptized and walked them into the waters of baptism. It was the first baptism since my own mission. So here I am inviting people that I'm meeting with and teaching the gospel and extending the baptism invitation and still kind of struggling a little bit with my own faith. And and the way I kind of resolved that is I, my own local stake president was the one that helped me. He said, he just called them fallen dominoes. So I have some fallen dominoes, Nate. And 
they hit dominoes that have really deep roots, like my belief in the plan of salvation, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the Book of Mormon, that I hold the priesthood. But those dominoes, dominoes, the visual is one fall and they all fall, and then my whole testimony is gone. But for me, um, my dominoes, a couple dominoes fell, but they never came back up, Nate. It's not like I, w- I ever found a way to reconcile. I just gave myself permission to have fallen dominoes and kind of then moved on and held on to the things I believe. But in a way, now I'm glad I went through that because I feel like there's a quote I sometimes use in my podcast. Um, this is, and I love it's it's the wounded healer. Um, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. So I I know this desert of just, you know, a mini faith crisis, and it's given me great empathy, and I'm glad I had it. And and it's just helped me. And I've been honest in my podcast, I've seen a therapist twice in my life. And I know the kind of the world of mental health a little bit. And I don't suffer with long-term clinical depression, but I get a little gray. And I know that I can't somehow pray that away or go to the temple more. I need clinical help to solve that. So there's some things in my life that I think have given me a little more perspective for just being able to then bear and mourn and comfort. Well, I, I honestly, I have never heard someone who I would consider in the position that you're in, in terms of having had callings like you've had and had the life experience of you that you've had that have, that have talked this way. It's always with people that are my age or younger. And I just, I, I would love to have people that are hearing this, that as particularly, you know, I, I don't I don't know what the demographic of people is that listen to your podcast, but I'm I'm so grateful that there's someone out there that's speaking this truth from the position that you're in because you're speaking sort of on behalf of the people like me who are sitting in testimony meeting many a time, hearing people bear their testimonies about things that are constant day to day struggles for me to even conceptualize yeah. maybe or you know we're the ones that don't get up because maybe you know the things that I would go bear my testimony about are short. Um, but really important, like the atonement in the Book of Mormon. But there's things, you know, about Joseph Smith and the history of the church and and things yeah. that, that I struggle with. And, and particularly then if you also are a person who considers yourself a questioner and a thinker and um, pragmatic, uh, logical, um, that, you know, finding finding your rational brain to also create testimony of what you believe and and i think that the, instead of figuring out that there's something you need to fix with your testimony letting the things that you do believe sort of hold tighter to and you know allow yourself to not know some other some of the other things and really i don't i'm being honest with you i don't hear this from the older generation so i i'm loving this i'm loving hearing this kind of uh paradigm shift or you know I, I'm, I'm thinking of old leaders that I've that I've had and and, and things like that 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 I hope are can hear this message and and adapt to this message and it's it's a great thing like it's not a bad thing to to change to evolve a little bit well I agree with you Nate and I think I didn't have the word vulnerability in my vocabulary five years ago and I learned that from your age group that it's actually a sign of strength for me to be vulnerable and say that I've seen a therapist twice in my life and that I went through my own mini faith crisis. I think that's actually 
you know, because your age group has taught me that a sign of strength. And we love Elder Holland, the broken vessel talk, when he talked vulnerably about his own journey with his own mental health. And we just generally, the members of the church love Elder Holland because he's got vulnerable and he got real and authentic. And I look at Christ and I look at the teachings of the New Testament and I even look at Nephi and the parable of Nephi and Second Nephi 4. I should know this off the top of my head where Nephi gets real vulnerable and just, and we identify with Nephi. So I think it's, I think we can mature where we can be more honest and it just fitting, our culture is too much fitting in where we have to all have the same type of testimonies, get married at the same time, have a, you know, and you know this because you're living that. And now um, I think belonging just allows us to be who we are and celebrate our beautiful differences and not want to put everybody in the same checklist and the, because God's created this beautiful world with all this beautiful diversity, and we need that in our congregations. Do you think that people that you talk to that aren't my age, that are older, are receptive to what you talk, you're, you're saying? It's a good question. Spoken state conference, my state president had me speak in state conference, and I talked about my own faith journey and um, some of these concepts. And, I, you know, no one said they didn't like my talk, but I know it was difficult— for some, perhaps, to just sort of get their arms around a different way of helping people that are because are, of, of working through their faith. Because certainly the things we've said in the past, pray, read, go to church, is, which I believe in, sometimes we need to do more than that. And so that is a change. Patrick Mason's book, Planted, if anybody wants a good place to start, published by Desert Book, is a book I read. It's a pastoral book on why... Um, some members of our church are stepping away, and what are our soft spots? I'm a marketing research guy by training, so I like to know my soft spots. Yeah, and are the soft spots in the restored church that would cause people to potentially be uncomfortable or step away? So I think it's great to know what those are, and even talk about those in our core meetings, LGBTQ and women's issues and church history, and figure out a way to talk about those and talk about the essays. So. I think it's a mixed bag. My own stake president's great. Dave Sturt um, is great. He's a friend of mine. He's my age, and he gave a talk in Word Conference about helping people through doubt. And it was more than just the prayed, read, don't have doubt type of talk. It was pretty understanding for people that do struggle. I think even the word doubt has been criminalized in our church. I think some people just doubt, Nate. Now, if we're trying to doubt and our goal is to stay in doubt— um, that's different than just, I doubt and I, and I don't. And so I think we need, if, if you're wired that way to doubt, I, I'm not sure that God wants you to be different than that, or I'm not sure that's something to be overcome. It just may be how you're wired. It may be part of your beautiful journey. And yeah, I encourage someone to doubt, to continue to learn and gain knowledge and maybe doubts about some issues will go away, but maybe they won't. And then I think it's just honoring how we feel and being able to move on. Yeah, and sometimes it's not really, it's not really doubts so much as it's just like unanswered questions that yeah. we're not going to get answers. Okay, and the church has so much truth, but can you say there's unanswered questions and they'll be unanswered for the rest of your life? Maybe that you might actually have what you think is you know you've you've resolved it in your mind, let's say, but overall, you know, can we be okay with not knowing? And and that's sometimes brings doubts. You know, but I feel like that's what it is for a lot of my friends. 
um, that have left or because we've, we've been taught for so long that maybe that the, we, the church has all the answers for everything, you know, and, and can we get away from, from that concept a little bit and be okay understanding that there may be a little gray sometimes. I think it's, I, I just, I agree. I think we can say, I don't know. And that's a great thing to say. And I don't understand and I don't have the answers. I think it's naturally difficult to deal with ambiguity. And if we're a leader, we may feel like we need to have all the answers and everything fit in a nice tidy box. But Heavenly Father may want us to live with ambiguity. It may be part of our spiritual journey to grow and be stretched. I I look at my own mini faith crisis, Nate, as not a step backwards or falling backwards. I actually look at it as progression in my faith. So I'm grateful I went through it because, and I have and I have more ambiguity now as a fully believing member of the church. I serve in the temple as a temple worker and hold a calling. And so it hasn't changed my commitment to church, but it certainly has, I think for me, matured my framework for the church. And I, yeah, so now I don't always need to have all the answers and feel like everybody else has got to not have, has have their questions answered. It's okay to have questions. I think I didn't realize this as an example. I, you know, I realize there's a percentage of our church that believes according to the revelation of 1978 with blacks and the priesthood. There's a percentage of our church that believe it was God's will that that was not revealed until 1978. And that it was always God's plan that blacks would not have the priesthood until 1978. And there's a group of members of our church that believe that our leaders could have asked earlier, if they had asked that question earlier, unified as a quorum, um, should blacks have the priesthood earlier, that that revelation would have happened earlier. And I've learned to honor both points of view. I think mm-hmm. both points of view are, are faithful points of view. I've learned also to try not to pull people to different points of view. So if you're on one side, I think it's okay if someone feels differently to just honor how they feel and not try to draw them that way. Uh, My wife and I are in a split political marriage, and we rarely try to draw each other our way. We just honor the the way we see things differently versus trying to always trying to draw the other person away. But I think it's okay to have people around us that believe differently and be at peace with that as we're all trying to come under Christ and do our best. Awesome. And again, I wanted to sort of circle back then to the LGBTQ issues and you've how many episodes of the podcast have you done now? We released about a hundred and I would say 70 are LGBTQ people telling their story. So can you give me a, maybe a, I mean, I know that's a lot of people and a lot of stories that you've heard. Um, and maybe it's putting you on the spot, but is there any, is there one or, or two stories that stick out to you that left a lasting effect on, on you or, that you could maybe share with our audience a little bit about um, a journey that someone had gone through that really you feel like was important that people go and hear? It's a great question. Uh, one, I guess one thing I've learned is that everybody's story is unique and we shouldn't project somebody's story on somebody else's story. So Ben Shalati is um, a gay LDS man in his mid-30s, temple worker, celibate, staying on the covenant path, and he is doing a great job. He's the I heard him at a church training me. He says, don't take my story and idolize me and make it everybody else's story. He's very sensitive to 
sometimes when we take someone's story and say, that's the way you do it. I think we have to let everybody find their own story working with God. Um, and that's a core, the, and, to, and another story that's completely valid is I probably didn't realize that these mixed orientation marriages could work, Nate. Um, I'd heard kind of the high profile breakup of some of these mixed orientation marriages. And then I did a couple podcasts with Explain people. Explain what, what that means. Good Mixed orientation marriage is a straight person and a gay person in a, in a marriage. Mm. Um, and the younger generation is talk, if they're gay, they're talking in the dating process about who they are. And, and that relationship doesn't necessarily end because some, I've just done enough podcasts with people in mixed orientation marriages and even the straight spouse sitting there talking about why she loves her gay spouse and, and I look at these marriages, and they really work. It's not easy. It's complicated. I don't say that should be everybody's story, but I wouldn't want to say that can't be a valid marriage because I've seen those marriages work, and I felt the foundation principles of trust, communication, honesty, and the atonement of Christ. So That's wild. I've, I've never really talked to anybody that was in one of those that was admitting publicly that they were in. Yeah, um, uh, it's, you knew it ha- was happening, and uh, yeah, I mean your family situation. I'm not saying that you know your parents should have stayed together, your dad should have stayed, but there are some situations where these are working, and and the younger people are doing what your dad was never told to do was to actually, your dad I assume was told just to get married and he would become straight. Yeah, I think um, if you talk to him, and I think you should talk to him actually. I I would to love to, to have. I, I'm going to make sure that he listens to this and. And some and of these gets on yeah, your show. I'd love to talk to your dad, and and I just love your family story where um, you you have all stayed close with your dad. And to me, that's what God would want for your family, and see the goodness and beauty. And I know when I posted a picture on my Facebook page of your dad um, with all of you in matching T-shirts, <laughs> arm in arm, and I just the beauty of that picture was just it made me really happy. Yeah, and some people would say, well, gosh, that's a a broken marriage, but I, I just see that everybody's doing the best they can, and your dad did the best he can, could, and he's been really burdened, and I get tender-hearted for him because I would guess he's been really burdened, and just to have all of his kids love him has got to be very healing for him and helpful for him, and and to keep him in your life. It, so going back to your question is just every story is different, and we shouldn't sort of take one person's story and say this is how you do it, and I have met with, you know, some gay people that really believe they're single in their 20s. They're going to marry someone of the opposite sex and go into a mixed orientation marriage and have children. And society would say, no way. Um, but I've learned to even honor those stories. And who am I to have revelation for somebody else's path and what's right for them? So I think sometimes, and I think that's one of the challenges if you're LGBTQ, whatever path you take, then people sort of then may judge you for that. <laughs> um, and so I think that's just, we just shouldn't do that. We should just honor everybody in their path. I re- were releasing a podcast that I just recorded yesterday. It was a dad who was in Texas. Um, he got up during the night and he just got an impression that was something wrong in the house. So he had his gun out. And after a while, he didn't find anybody in the house that had broken in, but he saw a glow and he knew his son, 16 year old son was on the computer and he looked over the son's shoulder and he saw his son was watching gay porn. And dad had a sort of a one-two right there. He says, I got a son with a pornography problem and I've got a gay son. 
Mm. And what, what he did right then was one of the finest parenting moments I've ever heard. And we'll release that on a podcast. It's the Eldridge podcast. But he invited that young man up to a mom and dad's bed, and they spoke. And it was just a beautiful parenting moment. And I wish I could have done something like that. I would never, no father would ever be trained on what to do in a situation like that. So that one sticks out because it was wow. just so recent. And this young man went on to serve a mission and they're just such a close family. And and this whole experience, even though it was painful at first, ended up bringing the family much closer together. And the young man just being so honest about, you know, who he is and and that night, and I thought of his maturity, just hit that head on. So those are the kind of the real stories that um, I just am honored when someone shares. Those are a couple thoughts. And 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 are you get are you getting a lot of, I guess through Twitter? I, I can only imagine through Twitter, through Instagram. Well, maybe not Instagram, Facebook, um, email. Um, it having done a hundred, I imagine people are just reaching out to you now yeah. wanting to share their story. Yeah, that's true. And I, I'm probably producing episodes too quick and it's hard for our listeners to keep up. To so up. I've, I've got to figure out a balance there and I want to have everybody have the chance to share their story. If someone's real critical of the church or wants to bring the church down, I don't, I, my, ch my podcast is church affirming. It's wants to be supportive of the church and LGBTQ people. So I will tell stories of people that have left because I want to honor those stories and, and not demonize those people or villainize those people and just acknowledge they're not in the doctrine of our church, but they're still in the circle of our love and circle of the human family. So, yeah, I, I work about uh, our small business kind of runs itself to some extent. Um, so I spend about 20, 30 hours a week and probably 40 or 50 hours a week on this, what I call a ministry of just trying to bring voice to LGBTQ people so we can do better. I'm not an activist, Nate. I don't ask, I don't say what we should do differently or what the brethren should do. Uh, but what I can do is as part of my baptism covenants is just try to bring voice so that we can better understand. One of the suggestions I have is you've got to assume that LGBTQ people are in your, within your voice. So if I say something at church that says bad, that, sort of talks about LGBTQ people in a negative way, then there may be someone within my voice and I'm just adding to their burden. I have to ask myself, what could I be saying that would actually add to somebody else's burden mm. with a comment in church or at lunch or in a social setting? And sometimes we find, I call it, Brene Brown calls it common enemy intimacy, where we sort of bond, not because of what we stand for, but we hate another group. So if I'm in one political party and I spend all my time talking about how bad the other political party is, we create intimacy there and connection, but it's not authentic and it's not long-term real connection is where we just stand for the beauty for our own beliefs on their own merits without a need to sort of take down other people. And that's sort of where I am with a lot of issues. I don't have much fear of other people anymore. Perfect love casteth out fear. I have fear of ISIS. My son's working for OUR which is an organization trying to end human sex trafficking, and that's pure evil. ISIS is evil. So there are there is a time to sort of find common enemy and try to take down other groups of people. Yeah, but and they're doing great things. I mean, dangerous too. But That's dangerous stuff, and yeah. so that's awesome. So, But I think we need to figure out who the real enemy is and sometimes not other other people that are really 
our own brothers and sisters. I had a conversation last night with a future podcast guest, and he couldn't be more of a different podcast guest than you. He runs a, yeah. a Instagram account that's that's basically just meant to be a joke account and and post memes and make fun of cultural things uh, within the church. But you know what's funny is we we sort of landed at the end of the day on the on a similar theme, which is that we're all just trying to get yeah. through. We're all just trying to do the best we can, and sometimes you gotta relax a little bit and um, just be be more inclusive and error on the side of inclusivity versus exclusivity. And I hear that a lot coming out through what you're saying, and I think it's a great theme. Finding common ground and and connecting on that is so much more meaningful and authentic than finding things that it's always it's always funny I always talk about this like when I go on a first date I'm single so I, I go on plenty of first dates and uh, I always find it funny that it's so much easier to talk with someone on a, on a date maybe with someone that you don't know about things you don't like uh, than things that you both than trying to find things that you both really genuinely like I mean outside of like music and whatever that but uh, as a as, in general I think as humans it's we get very passionate it's easy to talk about oh I dislike this I dislike this I hate it when um, but it's so much more authentic when we can connect about the things that we uh, that we share that are common ground. Great insight, and Nate. It's, it's a important. great insight. Um, it's a great insight. I, a story came to mind. I'd just love to share with your listeners, please, because uh, it's part of my journey in just parentinghood. When I was about seventeen or eighteen, my dad was the stake president in Salt Lake City, and he has six kids. And his oldest son, who's missionary age, wasn't going on a mission. In fact, he started to go to a different Christian church. So here's mom and dad, all the other, you know, dad's processing mission papers except his own son. And on a Sunday afternoon, um, this is probably 1978, dad had been at all day of church meetings. And about four or five o'clock in the afternoon, he came home and we all loaded into the station wagon, one of those old station wagons that you don't remember, Nate. And we went to a small Christian church in downtown Salt Lake City and watched my older brother be baptized into another Christian church. Hmm. And it was the finest teaching moment of my parents' life because they taught me that nothing any of us could do could take them outside of the circle of the family's love. And you know, they could have been worried, Nate, that I would join that same church. <laughs> Um, so they could have been very protecting, but they didn't. They said, we're going to go support our older brother. None of us did. And But my parents are in their 80s, and he's in his 60s, and the family circle is tied. And it created just this feeling that we could talk to mom and dad about who we were and our concerns and because they just showed they're going to love this son even if he joins a different church. And And it doesn't mean they agreed with this decision, but condoning doesn't mean we agree or support or it just means that we allow someone's lived experience to be different than our own, and we keep the family circle together. So that's a that's I love that story that's really helped me to provide a set of tools. So if we have people in our lives that step away, I think we just say we'll leave that at the Savior's feet. Um, and I think of the Savior's example, Nate. I think of all the New Testament parables where he was with people that people in society said he shouldn't be with, and doing things on the day he shouldn't be doing them. The Canaanite woman, she wasn't even Jewish, and she came wanting to have her daughter healed, and the disciples said, shoo her away, and Christ healed her daughter through her. And so over and over again, Christ is with Zacchaeus that's up in the tree, the tax collector that everybody hates, and Christ goes out to dinner with him that night, and he's just constantly 
showing that we should be with people that have a harder road or that society says is not worthy. And it's part of my baptism covenants. And so I think there's a great doctrinal foundation that we need to do to make our congregations feel safe for, you know, everybody, because that's what Christ did. And then we can all come into Christ. I, you're really getting me talking here, Nate. I love it. I love it. My sister told me that you weren't much of a talker. I can't wait for her to hear this. I know. I, it's very <laughs> therapeutic because I try to get my guests talking. But I think in our congregation, we wanted to create a feeling that there's no belief or behavior hurdle to be welcome in our YSA congregation. So there was no—it's really true. I th- The gate is wide at the congregation level. We wanted everybody to feel welcome there. There was no belief or behavior hurdle. Now, if they were an activist yelling at the speaker, that would be a problem. But I then I felt the narrowing of the gate happens at the temple. That's where there is a belief and behavior hurdle. Mm-hmm. So I sort of think we sometimes narrow the gate, I think, too much. And, and so we don't make it safe for people that have different levels of belief in our church or are different places with their behavior to feel welcome in a congregation. It's sort of like the gate narrows. And, you know, if someone steps away, we just we'll put casseroles at their house, but we won't really sometimes understand why they stepped away so we can fully address what's going on with them. And so we could potentially invite them back and say, you're still welcome, even though you have different beliefs in these areas or you're working through stuff. Um, So that's just a framework that I, we really tried to adapt in our YSA ward. And, and then everybody's messing up, Nate. And that's the thing that I think God wanted God does not expect his children to be perfect. And I think life is just a ladder where you're going up three steps and slipping down two and going up one and slipping down a half. And I think God, as I met with the YSAs, is much more interested in what we're learning and how we're growing than perfection. And we have to be much kinder to ourselves. And I think than we, I think most of us are a lot harder on ourselves than God would be. And I think God would say, just keep making progress um, don't look in the mirror and just see your weaknesses. Shame is this. Uh, guilt is good because I think it motivates positive behavior. Shame just says I'm no good. I'm no worthy. Yeah. I'll, I'll never get over whatever I'm working on. I'm never worthy of her. I'm never worthy of some of my promises and my patriarchal blessing because I've I've come up short. And I would just say God does not want you to feel that way. Look at all the and. It's just part of your growth, and be kind to yourself and make gradual progress. I think that's all that God wants. There's so much in what you just said that I feel like is uh, me holding up a mirror to myself because I'm so, I've been so guilty of that. All of my faith crisis has been in my life have been uh, come from uh, mostly uh, when I make mistakes and, and so I'm unable to uh, get out of my own way of feeling like I don't deserve blessings and then therefore God doesn't love me or, and so I, on. so many people that, that go through that. Right. And, um, I love that. So he, honest hearing that, uh, sort of bringing it back to the idea of what you were saying about the, the barrier, you know, particularly at the church level and the, and the community level, like, there should be a place for everyone. You know, the temple might be a boundary for certain ordinances, but if we don't, I think we get in this in this uh, paradigm where we think about uh, every decision we make being a reflection on um, 
Christ's laws of, of justice versus some of his laws of mercy and, and, and the atonement being all about how we'll never be perfect, right? And the, one of the beautiful things I think that about, about my individual faith and about the church is I'm, a very, per, I'm very much a person who, who believes in personal accountability and responsibility. Um, but sometimes that can border on perfectionism. And, and I yeah. think also because of some of the doctrine of the church, you know, you have to be able to be worthy for certain to do certain things. And then therefore you can sort of get yourself in a um, mindset of, well, if I'm not perfect, then I'm not anything. And if I'm not fully worthy, then I can't be involved at all. And so many people, when they leave, they just throw sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater when there's so much good about staying even when and especially when you're at your least worthy <laughs> or yeah. you're you're going through times of doubt or or being depressed or um there's so much good that's that's when you need religion the most that's when you need spirituality the most i feel like i'm sort of rambling a little bit but the idea I, of yeah. what you're saying about it's not about uh sort of this one plus one equals two all the time. Right. You know, is important. You know, I just, there's a lot of thoughts in my brain and I just, I want to lift people's burdens that are listening to your podcast and bring hope. But I just, if you're, you know, messing up with stuff, I just think you have to believe God loves you and you have to look in the mirror and first see yourself as a daughter or son of God that's worthy of his love and that he, if he were there, he would wrap his arms around you, even with all your imperfections and your messing up. And, and I think the atonement can make us clean, but the atonement doesn't take away the life lessons we learn through our mistakes. And I think that's one of the beauties of mortality. God could have set it up, Nate, so that us 58 year olds were kind of in the peak of our messing up years. And you guys at the millennials were kind of hoping, helping us all kind of hang in there. But I think he set it up so that we grow um, and the atonement can help us grow and become clean and repent. But we take the life lessons and the increased Christ-like attributes of just our personal weaknesses as we work through them. And I think that's the way God wants us to look at that. And so he, um, I love the prodigal son. We're all the prodigal, but the prodigal son, the power of that um, parable is he came unto himself we all come into ourselves, we go, we got to fix this, we've got to go back. And so he went back to his father, but he predetermined his station in life. He says, I'll be a servant. And the God sets that parable up in the most powerful way. He says, when we come back, are we a son or a servant? And then our heavenly father, Christ, or that father that's out in the farm field that sees his son from a far way off. Christ could have set that parable up to be at night, but he didn't. To be the most dramatic, that father runs towards his son and puts his arms around him and kisses him. And the son basically looks at his father and says, I'm not worthy to be treated this way. Why are you treating me this way? And then the father, to signify, does he come back as a son or as a servant? He puts a robe on his shoulders and a ring on his finger. And it forever answers the question, Nate, and for all of your listeners, when we come back, we come back as a son. And that is the power of the atonement. And a pink Mormon is something that Michael Wilcox, an institute teacher, taught me. He says, a pink Mormon says, well, our sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They don't buy into that scripture, and they think, well, I've done some really bad things. So with a lot of repenting on my part and a lot of forgiveness on the Lord's part, he can get me from red 
to a light shade of pink. <laughs> and they don't see themselves as white, and they have pink Mormon thinking. They say, I'm not worthy of her because if she only knew what I did in the eighth grade or three years ago or my challenge in this area, she would never want me. Or what about when you, whatever you did in the eighth grade or as a young man, and then you repented for and became white as snow, and then you did it again, you know? Yeah. That's I think I find so many people that struggle with that. It's like I went through repentance and I I, I came clean and then guess what I screwed up again and it's like I can ne I I'll never get this right, you know. And I think that we just have to do the best we can and we can't see ourselves as pink Mormons. We can't see ourselves as flawed. We have to. We just have to keep moving forward and we can't sort of say that our station life is different because of our own mistakes. We've got to have faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ to have our life mission still possible and still date if you're single and still be work, you know, and still make progress. The sacrament was interesting for me, Nate. At, at first, I kind of had a rule book of if you hmm. messed up in these sort of categories, you couldn't take the sacrament for so long. And then I sort of moved away from that. And I would ask the YSA, I said, would taking the sacrament help you? And some would say, well, not taking the sacrament would actually help me. Let's say I don't take the sacrament for three weeks or a month. And some would say it would really help me to take the sacrament. And I looked at the sacrament as more of are you trying to keep your covenants going forward versus a penalty for what you've done in the, ha in the past. Yeah. And so there's shame with not taking the sacrament, especially if you're in a home ward and you're teenage. And if mom and dad pass <laughs> you don't like take what? the sacrament. They're like, what? what are you, what's going on? And I want to take shame. So some of the YSAs, it was just interesting. So instead of being so kind of of a grid or a set set of rules given up, I, I sort of over time just said, this is different for each person. And, and maybe even involve that person in what would be best for you here and what are your feelings. And not just always sort of, because we could both get revelations sometimes for what was the best path for them to overcome what they were working on. And the idea really is that you're still trying, you know, like yes. the progressive, right? So that's the thing about, I'm, you know, my personal view on, on life is, and, and why I love, I get asked all the time because most of the people I know are not members of the church. Most of my friends are not members of the church and are not religious at all, <laughs> most of them, you know, uh, and they, whether it's they found out I have this podcast and I'm forced to talk about it or cool. um, just in random conversations. And I'll say, you know what I, I love about my religion a lot is the idea of, of not just the spiritual, because yes, I, I love it for God and I love it for the idea of an atoning sacrifice. And I love it for the idea of a life beyond this one and that I could be with my family and, it, and all of those beautiful things. But I also love the idea that life is meant to be a progression and that you, we are meant, there's a purpose for all the things that we go through, and uh, there is a, 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 a sort of a accountability and a personal responsibility I have to continue to to net to not peak as a as an individual, whether it be with Love my uh, how I view um, sin or how I view my fellow man, and that the, that's the whole concept behind. Um, progressing to be to becoming sort of seeking that perfection that I'll never attain, but it's not about getting the perf it's not about getting the perfection right, but it's about 
um, continuing to try to better myself and be a better person to people. And, and those concepts uh, are all within our faith and they're all taught as doctrine about our faith. And maybe it's not even like as overt as we think it is, but I always, at the end of the day, in the back of my mind, that's always there because of the way I was brought up, even when I'm not thinking about it, like subconsciously, you know, I love that, Nate, and I love just progression. Everybody's on their own path. So those are the things that I love about our church, too. Everything good in my life has come from living the teachings of our church. And I invite all your listeners, if if you're not, to consider the plan of salvation, understanding about Jesus Christ. Um, there's just wonderful doctrine of our church that I think gives me more purpose perspective on my purpose here. And it's blessed my life. But if you're a millennial that's kind of, or anybody that's just kind of hanging on, I guess I just bump, I'll wrap my arms around you and say, I know it can be hard, and I validate how you feel, and sometimes you don't feel like there's a place your voice has heard or the issues that are important to you are being addressed, but I hope you can stay. And if you've stepped away, I hope that maybe you'll stay connected enough that you might be able to return. I recognize that some of the best people I know have stepped away, in a, and we can't become the church. We need to be, you know... So we need to do better, and we need to be able to keep more of our members, and we need to be able to recognize we have more work to do um, to do that. And so it's, it's, it's a great time, but it's a little bit of a difficult time. But I think I don't, you know, I just think perfection's an eternal goal, and we just have to look at it our own terms. And one of the great mentors of my life, who John Huntsman Sr., who's a Utah industrialist who's since passed away. He, I remember him teaching a class when I was a young man. He says, when I interview top executives for my company, I ask them, tell me about your failures. Mm-hmm. And, he, and if they say they didn't have any failures, he won't hire them. And what he was looking for is what were your failures and what did you learn from them? And how then have you made that a, made you a better woman or man? And, that's kind of stuck with me, and I think that's what God would say, is I knew you would, you know, you'd make mistakes, you know, spiritual mistakes, worthiness mistakes, career mistakes, life mistakes, but I think our test is, um, the bigger test, I think, is what we do. Can we learn from them, and can we grow and improve, and then even be through our own failures, have be able to help other people that might be in that same road, and I think that's part of the beautiful plan of mortality. You said it better than... I could have ever said it. I think that is a hundred percent true. Wow, I, we went down such a rabbit hole. We did. We went a little. Great. I love that. Um, and I've kept you a long time, so I'm going to let you get back uh, to. I'm, sh- I'm sure your wife and I, I guess you have one uh, kid still in the house. I have one high school son watching the Utah Jazz, and I think he's happy tonight because they won. So oh, good. I was on, worried. He has a mission call to Samoa, so he leaves in the summer. He's pretty excited. That's awesome. Um, any any parting thoughts that you wanna you wanna get out there, or where can where can people find your podcast and uh, your website I'm, and things like that? Yeah, our we have an organization. Can't donate to it. It's called ListenLearnAndLove.org, and that's where our LGBTQ resources are. As active Latter Day Saints trying to talk about this, and I have another website. It's just PapaOsler.com, where a lot of my Facebook posts are just archived, so you can just see them by topic. And so that's a couple researches, or you can find me on Twitter and Facebook under Papa Osler, Richard Osler. And 
But I guess my parting thought, Nate, is I'm just grateful for what you're doing and that you stepped to the plate and said, I'm going to do a podcast. You've uh, This is part of your acting on some impression you have um, to be able to bring voice to peculiar people. And I just, it's a great way to minister. And my baptism covenants are kind of vertical, a line going up and down, which is commandment keeping and my relationship with God. But a lot of my baptism covenants is a line going horizontal in my relationship with other people. And that's what you're doing with the second one is you're bringing understanding, you're lifting burdens, you're highlighting people. I'm still on your Facebook page looking at some of these wonderful podcasts you have. So thank you for what you're doing, Nate. And and I love that you're open with your own family story. I've had so many, the podcasts I started to do with kids talking about their gay parents was from, from gay parents reaching out to me and say, you know, I'm going to come out to my kids. Uh, do you have any uh, podcasts? Because they're not going to, this, you know, yeah, they won't have any resources. And so that's where this series of podcasts and a couple of these dads have since messaged me and said, my kids are listening to these podcasts like your family story. And it's giving them examples like your own family story. So thank you for the courage to talk about your, your own family story. And I think it honors your dad. And it's a story like, we just keep the family circle together and and it's a it's a wonderful family story so thank you nate for all you are doing <laughs> well i appreciate that uh i don't know that i deserve thanks for anything because i have so much fun talking to people i think their stories are incredible and i get more out of it selfishly than anybody for sure but um you know it's been a, it's been awesome to have you come on and and share what you've got what you have sort of taken away uh from talking to people and i i guess I, I i keep saying it but i'm just it's so refreshing to hear someone that has your life experience and stereotypically you know i, I would look at as someone who i wouldn't imagine you know making assumptions i guess but um i wouldn't imagine would have the perspective that you have and i hope that people hear that and and can continue to um, introspect and think about the way that they've used some of these topics and just their propensity to be able to talk about them, which is the most important thing in my opinion, is that we continue to just have conversations about this stuff. Agreed. Agreed. I think more than anything, it's just continue to have conversations about this stuff, these important issues that we all face as human beings. I totally agree, Nate. So it's great what you're doing, Nate Jones. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, and this has been another episode of the Peculiar People Podcast with Papa Osler. Now I ain't riding no waves, too busy making my own way.